It's called the parable of the lost son. There's a wee difference there. Because the prodigal son emphasises how much the boy spent and all that. But the lost son actually means what his position was. He was lost for God. And it's the story that you've just heard up there. It's just that you've just heard it up there. And uh, I'm going to read it out again because I think it's important that we read God's word. Because that was very much aimed at the cows. But here it is here. So it's from Luke's Gospel 15. And it starts at 11. So it's Luke 15, 11. And up until this point, Jesus has been speaking to people and he's told them a couple of parables. He's told them a couple of parables. He's told them a parable of the woman that lost a coin and then went searching for it and found it. And he's also told the parable of the shepherd who lost a sheep and left his 99 sheep and went away and found the one that was lost. He's now telling this story about the lost son. So it was a lost coin, a lost sheep and a lost son. Luke 15, 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So the father decided, divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything there, after he spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no, lo- worthy, no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard the music and the dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, What's going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you gave me, you, gave, you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, came home, you killed the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, You are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He is lost and is found. This is God's word and may bless it to our hearts this day and forevermore. (coughs) I'm I'm hoping not to keep you here too long today. The context of this story 
is Jesus is surrounded with people, and the way it tells you, a way back, it's a way bit further on, it's, he's surrounded with sinners, tax collectors and Pharisees, right? So there's quite a spread of people. It's not all holy people that's run about him and good people. It's quite a spread of people that he's speaking to. Now Jesus employs, Jesus is a great teacher, he's our saviour and son of God, but he's a great teacher, that's one of his ministries, his teaching ministry, and in his teaching ministry he uses parables, right, he uses parables, the parables have been very very important for the church because for a long time we did not have written scripture like this. It was 75 years before the first scripture was written after he died. So the faith was basically carried on in stories and, and, and repetition and by the oral tradition. And a lot of people's faith was built on the parables. They understood them. They understood the parables. And what parables do is they give you knowledge. They give you a new knowledge. right? And it allows you to hold that knowledge up and compare it to your life. Right? So it tells you something you didn't know. And you go, oh, right. And, and you, you sort of do it. So you do with the, the story of the prodigal son. You hear the story of the prodigal son and his brother and that, and you go, oh, I'm a bit like that, I'm not a bit like that. And that's how you do it, and that's how it teaches you. Believe it or not, parables are very, very deep theologically. They're deep, right? There's depth to them. It looks like a story on the surface, but there's so much more below it. Um, we don't get time to do all that today. We're familiar with the behaviour of the, the younger son. We're familiar with that. And everybody can relate that story, no problem. <laughs> There's the older brothers there. He's in the story, but he doesn't get as much press coverage, do not he? No. It's like the younger brother in the story is the headline person. And Jesus didn't tell you a story and add somebody in just to pad the story. The elder brother's there for a reason. The young brother's an example, but so is the older brother. And so is the father. And hopefully we'll have a wee bit of a, a look at the older brother today. Now, the younger son had effectively insulted his father for asking for his money. In that tradition, in those days, as Jesus is telling that story, to go to your father and say, I want my money now, is like saying, I want you dead. I can't wait till you're dead. I can't wait till you're dead. So give me it now. Massive insult. Massive insult on it. But the older son... It doesn't look like it, but he actually insults his father as well. He spends a lifetime insulting his father. And we'll show you that, and the parable shows you that. When he hears about his brother's return, his first reaction is anger. You know, and, and a lot of us would be like that. It's a bit weird, your brother's been lost for years, and he's, he's turned up, and you hear about it, and his first reaction. He doesn't feel the joy that his father feels. It's a complete contrast to that. And he does what a lot of us are guilty of doing when we don't like something. He takes the huff. It's brilliant, isn't it? In the Bible, people take the huff. People are like, the Bible's all rubbish and all that. It's, no, it's just about people. He takes the huff. He takes the huff. He's a grown man acting like a child. Any name in here? <laughs> Anybody, anybody want to volunteer? He's a grown man acting like a child. It reminds you, do, do you remember, for those of us that have had kids and grandkids and all that, you know, when the kids don't get what they want, you know that, they'll, they'll stop in the middle of the town or they'll stamp their feet and they'll try to get control of the situation. The kids are trying to get control of the situation. Right? That's what he's doing. He's pulling up short and stamping his feet. In Glasgow we'd say he's bealing, right? He's absolutely bealing, he's raging, right? And he's wanting people to know. But 
he's what he's what the, the modern sort of Oprah type people call he's passive aggressive. Right? He's no get he's no get the courage to go up his Danny's brother and say, by the way, you're a wrong and you you bang them up and, and and have it all out. He's passive I'm staying outside, I'm no coming in. I'm no coming in. He's trying to control the situation and it works. It works because his father comes out of the house. His father comes out of the house. Because you see, the older son is what we would call self-righteous. He thinks he's the good guy. And he thinks his brother's a clown. And his dad's every bit a clown for backing him up. I'm the good guy in this story. I'm the one that's always doing things right. Do you know something? This is my experience and I'll include myself in this. See when it comes to human beings being self-righteous. See the story that they tell you about something. It's got a wee bit of truth in it. That always casts them in a good light. Self-righteous people always do that. They'll tell you a story about what happened. And it's got truth in it. You go, oh, that sounds... And that catches you. But it throws them in a good light. But see that same story? It has another bit of truth in it. That always casts the other person in the bad light. So if you're listening to somebody and they're telling you a story, they're telling you a story, and they look like the injured party. And they look like the injurer. Just be careful what you're listening to. Just be careful. Because the amount of truth is never in proportion to the amount of light that's getting cast. Right? We bit of truth, but look how good they are. And that's what the big brother's doing. He's doing that. And he goes on about what he's done for his father over there. He bangs on about that. I've been obedient. I've done this. I've done that. And then he contrasts it with what his brother hasn't done. He's not happy with building himself up. He's also got to push his brother down. He's got to do that. That's called being self-righteous. I think I'm the good guy. The healthy way to be in life is let other, make that, other people make that judgment. Let God make that judgment. Oh my God. I sit, I sit next to him in, <laughs> in my work. And if it ever comes around to talking about faith and religion and all that, do you know she always starts it with the same sentence? I mean, I think I'm quite a good person. <laughs> I'm like, why would you feel the need to say that? Right? That's been self righteous. Good people don't even think they're good people. They don't think like that. Or not. You see, the older brother with self-righteousness insulted his father every day of his life. Because he pretended to his father, I'm working for you dad, I'm obedient, I'm sorting things, I'm doing everything, no let him, it's away and all that. He wasn't doing it because he loved his father. He was doing it for what he could get. He was looking to the distance. I'll wait my time, I'll get this big house, I'll get this car, I'll get this, I'll get that. He was telling a lie to his father every day that he picked up his tools and went to work. See, the young brother that said, give me my money, I can't wait till you're dead. He was mere honest. The elder brother was a self-righteous liar. And he told a lie to his father every day. Because that poor man was walking about thinking, well, at least I've got one boy that I've done well with. And he hadn't. He didn't have one. And the reason Jesus is just telling us about that older brother is he's taking a pot shot at the Pharisees in the story, the leaders of the church. 
right? They're leaders of the Jewish religion who were self-righteous. We keep all the rules. We are the good guys. These sinners and the tax collectors, they're wrongings. We're the only ones that's going to heaven. And Jesus is having a pop at them. They're the older brother. They're the older brother he's talking about. He's telling them. He's telling the Pharisees. Just like the older brother in the story, your motive for serving God is wrong. You are serving religion. You're no serving God. And that's obvious by the way you behave, the way you talk, and the way you act. He's having a go at them. And just as we can quickly, and, and particularly in church, and, and as, as a Christian man, I'm always quick to identify with the younger brother. Ah, that was me, I led a bad life, and I drank, and I caused all sorts of chaos, and all the rest of it. But God's forgiven me, and I'm fine. I very rarely ever compared myself to the older brother. I very, very rarely ever do that. Because comparing yourself to the younger brother is dead easy. Because God's forgiven me. I'm fine now. I'm fine. I don't need to think about all that stuff. But what happens is, sometimes, and I've done it, in our new clean life, we start to become self-righteous. We start to, you know, Sandy said, he cracked a joke ages ago, he says, you know, he says, I'm awfully proud of my humility. <laughs> that creeps in. You'll hear it in conversations, I hear, I'll hear people saying this. You know, people out there, hold on a minute, <laughs> you mean your brothers and sisters? <laughs> your brothers and sisters that might not know God yet, we're talking about them. You know, you stagger into that. This is, we're in here, they're out there. That's what it starts out. That's a danger for us. Because we can slowly and unwittingly become Pharisees and we don't even know we're there. We start to become uh, caught up in the rules and the regulations and how you pitch up. Somebody says to me this morning, I remember when you I was <laughs> I remember when you first started preaching here back, you used to have a fence fight suit and all the rest of it. Now you're pitched up with chinos and trainers. I see that's the new beginnings effect. <laughs> because that was a hangover for where I was caught in the Hats on Sunday, you know, the hats on Sunday, both suits and a big black Bible and, you know, and, mm, serious face and. That's no serving God with joy. That's being religious. And that's what Jesus is on about here. See if we really love God. We would say what he has to. I'll put it this way. See if the older brother in that story really loved his dad. What she was claiming, he he would have went out and found his younger brother. He'd have went and got him and helped him and brought him back. But he wasn't. He was self-righteous, and that can happen in churches and groupings. We build a place, we get a place, we have a place, or we we join a place, and we are relaxed in that. I'm part of this group. They're out there. I'm in here. And that's not what God says. God says our focus is in the lost. Our brothers and sisters that are lost. I was over in Motherwell on Thursday night. I, I, 
I, I was so blessed, I was so gifted to go out and speak. I finished work, and you know, this is what happens. This, this, this gives you an idea. You finish work, you've had a long week at work, and you've got to go and speak somewhere. <laughs> and you're like, I see, for the minute I opened my eyes in the morning, I was going, oh God, I could see this far enough at night. I really can't. I just want to come home after a day's work and sit down and watch the telly and have my dinner and chill. I've got to go out. Shame on me. Shame on me. I will let the mother well. What a blessing. A great wee, it's, in, it's a wee called Daisy Street Care Centre. Brilliant wee church. Raw. Just a, a raw, rough church. Seats in a gym hall. A couple of wee speakers. A wee projector. And all these punters and people all tattooed and everything. I was like, oh, this is church. Not a hat in sight. No, there was, there was a skip cap, but the guy had one backwards. Right. Oh, this, is, this, is, this is God. This is what it's about. And a boy there that I was chatting to, a lovely big guy, he was telling me how he came to faith. And what he said was, he says, Vic, he says, I was brought up, and he told me the denomination that he was brought up in, right? I'm not going to that because when you mention a denomination, people go, ah, we know what they're like. They start becoming like a Pharisee again. And he says, I came out of service one night, he said, and as I was going up the street, he said, there was a guy in a doorway, he says, and he was in some state, he says, he was, he was homeless, he says, he had the full ups, the beard, the hair, the, the matted hair and everything, he says, and there was, there was bags and everything about him, he said, and I thought, I just couldn't help it, my heart was like, that's a human being. He says, and I stopped, he says, and the way he put it, he says, I felt God was saying to me, listen, talk to this poor man. He said, I spoke to him and I says, and he said, go chant to him and the guy was chatting away and he said, I just felt I want to I want to help this guy and that. He said, so I said, listen, I know a place where we can get a cup of tea, no, you want to come get a cup of tea? He says, and I'll be blunt about it, he says, the guy was absolutely stinking of urine. He says, but we managed to get him up and he said, we go to his bags. He says, and I took him back up to my church. Gets to the door. And there's one of the elders on the door, one of the leaders, one of, one of the Pharisees on the door. Hi, you know what's coming, don't you? Chocolate. He can't come in here. Huh? Not like that. He can't, he can't, there's people in here now, he can't come in like that. Robert just. He says, I didn't know whether I wanted to scream or cry or felt so. He says, the man's. Says, he, he, he says, he's talking as if the man's not there. He says, and I knew in that instant I was in the right church. He said, didn't he just know I was in the right church? I knew I had the right God. I had the right God in my heart. The God that I'd been taught in there. You need to go away and get washed and cleaned up before you can come in here. That's... And, and th that's common for Pharisees... There's this guy here, he's called J.C. Rell, he's an old, old, old preacher, and he talks about it, he says, this is a wee, this is a wee, it just struck me when I, when I was doing this. The older brother is, a, is an exact image of a large section of today's Christian church. Because as Christians, we've got to face the truth. We can't keep hiding, we've got to face the truth. Thousands of people in our churches hate a full, free and unchained gospel to be preached. They don't want to preach that story. They don't want to preach that. They complain that ministers are opening the doors too wide. 
Could you imagine that? Sitting in a church and somebody going, no, they can't come in. They're scared that the message of God will open the door to all sorts of weirdos. All sorts of wackos. All sorts of people that are smelling like pigs. Smelling a urine. People with drug problems. People with drink problems. People with anger problems. People who just are so confused. They're scared that they'll all... Do you know what it reminds me? Do you remember before the Brexit thing? I've got to say this. The mainstream media was just awash with Britain's going to get swamped with Albanians and Romanians and people stealing all our money. That's what they're like. These people are like, if we open the doors of our church too wide, they're going to swamp us. That's what the elder son is. I don't want that smelly waste of a brother back in our life. Because I've built this. I've built this wee life here, Dad. And when you die, it's going to be mine. And he's no coming into it. If as a Christian, and I've been in this place, when you hold up the truth of the parable of the prodigal son and the self-righteous brother, and you maybe sense... I could be nearer the self-righteous brother than I am. There's an answer. Jesus gives us an answer. It's the selfless father. It's the selfless father. Now if any of you are sitting in the room, who done that? Who done that? Who said shush? Let him. See, that's what I'm just talking about. Did did you get that? It's brilliant. Kids sitting talking under where God is. It's beautiful. I've got a mic. I can talk about it. <laughs> it's beautiful. Right? It's not about the church or how we think it should be. It's about being here as brothers and sisters. And Jesus gives an answer if we feel if we're turning into a Pharisee and we're becoming self-righteous. He says, look at the Father in the story. Look at him. That's how he be. The father in the story is selfless. He doesn't have a thought for himself or what he owns. When his young son comes to him and says, I want the money, I want to go, what does he do? He gives him it. He gives him it. How beautiful is that? I'd rather listen to her than listen to me. Honestly, I would. And when his younger son returns, what does he do? He gives him a robe, cleans him up, gives him a ring. The ring means he's got status as his son again. Gives him sandals and has a big party. Selfless. Here you go, here you go. And when his older son's angry and makes his case to him, what does the dad do? He tenderly says to him, Everything I have is yours. It's already yours. The father is completely and utterly selfless. Nothing is about him. And that's what he's saying. If you find yourself being a bit protective and about your place and your life, remember the father is about sharing. He's sharing it. He's not just selfless, the father's loving. And he displays that in the tender treatment of his children. He just doesn't say he's a loving father, he actually does the loving father thing. Which is beautiful on Father's Day. Beautiful on Father's Day. I've got to say this. See in the modern world, the position of fatherhood is often maligned. And it's such an important, important position in life. Being a father. 
because there's lots of eyes on you and it's not just little ones eyes there's big people eyes on you I know. and it's often maligned rightly so motherhood is held in high esteem rightly so but I feel sometimes fatherhood is diminished in the modern world and it should be celebrated shows his love to his kids when his, his son who comes back smelling of pigs and, and probably covered in sores he runs to him and he puts his arms around him he doesn't shake his horn or say well still in there and he kisses him he kisses him that's how much he loves him and even when his older son gets angry at him and starts having a go at him what does he do he talks to him lovingly and it's, it's if you look at the actual scripture it's emphasised it's in brackets my son my son so you can almost hear his heart breaking that, he's, that his boy's standing there tearing himself up with resentment and anger he's going oh my boy what are you doing what are you doing to yourself and he talks to him in a way that he knows his boy will understand. He says to his elder son, Look, everything I have is yours. He's trying to calm him. Everything I have is yours. Because he knows his boy only thinks in material things. He got a fatted calf and I get nothing. He's saying, Look, you've got everything I own. You've got everything I own. He talks to him lovingly. That's what's there for him. He's saying to him, you're my child, you're my son, you've always been my son, you've always been my son. See, what, what the elder son doesn't see, and what the younger son doesn't see, is he held them in his arms. Just like by Stephen's there. Yeah. They never saw that day. But our father carries that day. And if you're a father, you know it. He carries that. And that's where his love comes from. And the younger son... He's shown us our selfishness, Jesus. He's shown us our selfishness. And the older son, he's shown us our self-righteousness, which we've got to watch out for, particularly when we become a Christian. And then the father, in the story, he's shown us God. That's how God is. God is selfless. God is tender and loving. And that was a radical, radical thing for anybody to say at that time because the Jews and the sinners and the tax collectors and the Pharisees only knew God one way they knew him as a lawmaker as a king, as a wrathful judge they knew he was a creator they did not know him as a joyful loving father to even call him father the word Jesus uses is Abba which is our translation is daddy Jesus said my daddy my dad your dad that's how we spoke about that was radical and no wonder the Pharisees wanted to kill him because that turned their whole idea of God on its head just like big Robert when he stood outside that church with that poor man his understanding of God that he'd been given by the Pharisees and his denomination got turned on its head that night But Jesus isn't just shown us how God is. He's shown us he's the source of salvation. Salvation just means being in a good relationship with God. That's what it means. 
It's an old word, but it's, that's what it means. Being in a good relationship with God. And Jesus in the story is showing us it's the Father's love that saves you. In the story, the Father's love saves the young son, and hopefully it saves the older son. And he's telling us it's God's love that saves you. Know what you do, know what you read, know how many prayers you say, know what devotions you do, know what songs, and they are important. But if we're doing them out of a sense of religion, we'll miss that. We need to do it out of the position of, God loves me, I want to love him back. Because I know that when that father in the story hugged that smelly boy, I know that boy hugged him back. He must have clung on to his dad and thought, I'm a clown. I'm so grateful, Dad. You know, as I mentioned earlier when I started, the parable is a tool to give us understanding. It's to give us understanding. It's to give us knowledge that we can hold up against our own life. And the young son, he shows us our selfishness. And the older son, he shows us our self-righteousness. And the father, he shows us God's love for us. And it's only through God's love that we can be saved and be in a right relationship with God. But we must, we must, we must be clear on this. There is nothing that we can do. There is no result from anything that we can do that can bring us into a right relationship with God. We, there's nothing we can do. We get into a right relationship with God because He loves us first. He loves us. He heals us. He puts a new clothes on us, a new life, a ring sandals and says welcome home that's what God says to us and no matter where we are in our life we might be up on the mountaintop, we might be down in the valley always remember it's God's love that will draw you through, that will bring you through and he's a God that loves tenderly he's a God that will hold you and, and kiss you And as Christians, we need to keep in our mind. God did not give us this, and if we're in our church, He didn't give us these buildings for people out there, for them. He gave us them for in there. We don't build this for them or for us. We build them for this. We build ourselves for this. And that's what we must always keep in our hearts. Our brothers and sisters in the world, no matter how irritating and selfish they are, we must be selfless and we must be tender and loving towards them. Because God is selfless and tender and loving towards us. This is God's word and may bless it to our hearts this day. Have a good Father's Day today.